0: What if Jesus had never been born? One of my favorite Christmas movies, and actually uh, probably my favorite movie of all time, is It's a Wonderful Life. If you recall, George Bailey had the gift to see what the world would be like if he had never been born. And he realized that an entire transport of United States soldiers were killed because as a child he wasn't there to save his little brother who would grow up and be a war hero and save that entire transport. As you recall, the city that he lived in became Pottersville because he had never been born. It was, just, it was a horrible, wicked place to live. The, what he thought were just casual encounters all throughout his life were actually interventions where his friendship, his love, and his care saved people's lives. And at the end of the movie, what he, he, he initially he began the movie, and throughout the movie thought that his life was an entire waste, but at the end of the movie, he was crying out, "Oh God, I want to live again!" but it wasn't for himself, it was for others." But what if Jesus from Nazareth had never been born? Jesus, who lived only 33 years, 2,000 years ago, raised in a nowhere town called Nazareth? never held an official religious office, never held an official political office, never wrote a book. His public ministry only lasted three years. At the time of his death, the soldiers gambled for his only asset. His his entire equity was his robe. His followers scattered and deserted, and by human estimations, his life seemed to culminate And failure, and yet, of all the parliaments and congresses that ever sat, of all the monarchs that have ever raised, of all the presidents who have ever led, of all the militaries that have ever gone into battle, nobody has ever affected the world like this humble carpenter from Nazareth named Jesus. For one, obviously, this building that we're in here today would not exist had Jesus had never been born. But even more than that, these relationships that have been established within this building would never be born. And we wouldn't be family in a bond of the spirit that runs even deeper than blood. And if we were to to run into each other in the streets or maybe at the workplace or at a health club, then then there wouldn't be a family connection and there wouldn't be that, that, that twinkle in one another's eyes because it's the spirit of Christ and the love of Christ within us that binds us. Had Jesus never been born, it would be a cold place. C.S. Lewis put it like this. Had Jesus never been born, the world would be like a blistering, cold, long winter with no Christmas. I asked my wife on the way to church, what do you think it would be like if Jesus had never been born? And my wife, who's from Mexico City, said it would be like a taco with no meats. Even more poetic than C.S. Lewis. Had Jesus never been born, this hospital right across the street would not exist. Hospitals across the nation would not exist had Jesus never been born because it was through Christian charity and Christian love and the Spirit of Christ and Christian dollars and Christian funds that have created hospitals across the entire world. In fact, up until the time of Christ, hospitals were very primitive and and limited to only the elite or military personnel. But not only would there not be hospitals, there would not be orphanages across the entire world because up until the time of Christ, children were considered property. In fact, in ancient Rome, there was a wall that you could go to and on this wall... They were abandoned babies, and it was mostly little baby girls that were left on these walls to die. And it wasn't until Constantine became a Christian, the the emperor of Rome in the 3rd century, that he initiated legislation that put an end to the genocide of children. Had Jesus never been born, children would not have rights. Had Jesus never been born, universities in the United States would have never been created. Do you realize that our greatest universities, and our original universities and our greatest universities, were initially created to be seminaries, to train up people, to be ministers of the gospel? Oxford, Princeton, Notre Dame... Had Jesus never been born, East Lancaster would not be a safe haven for many spiritually lost, hurting, and hopeless people without shelter. Think about the names of institutions on East Lancaster that offer warmth and shelter and clothing and a new beginning. The Union Gospel Mission, the Presbyterian Night Shelter, the Salvation Army, all with Christian roots, with with Christian vision and Christian ambition. Well, as far as that goes, the United States of America would not exist had Jesus never been born. We just celebrated Thanksgiving when the pilgrims landed on Plymouth Rock. Do you realize they were fleeing religious persecution and coming to a land where they could worship Jesus freely? And there is the Mayflower Pact. And those pilgrims gathered together in the captain's quarters and made a pact that they were going to establish a new land for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. That is the foundation of our nation. Do you realize that the Constitution of the United States of America would not have been created had it not been for Christ-like Christian influence? The Constitution is based on a government of law, not by monarchs and men, as James Madison put it. We have staked the whole future of American civilization not upon the power of government, but upon the capacity of each of us to govern ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. The Constitution is based on equality under the law, which is inspired by Scripture. Because we read in Acts 10.34 that God shows no partiality. We all come to the cross as equal sinners, and as a result, we are all made equally the righteousness of God. The Constitution is based on the Declaration's assertion that... All are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, and among these, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. The Constitution is committed to the protection of individual liberty. As Christians, the framers of the Constitution believe, quoting 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Had Jesus had never been born... The hospitals in the United States and across the world, orphanages in the United States and across the world would not exist. When I was in India, I saw that running more rampant than stray dogs were stray kids, packs of kids of 8 and 10. And the leader among them was a 6-year-old who was carrying a 2-year-old on, the on, their, on their back. And it broke my heart and a seed was born in me that day that our church will start an orphanage in India. It's the Spirit of Christ that puts that in our hearts. Had Jesus never been born, the United States would not exist. The Constitution would not exist. Had Jesus had never been born, slavery would not have been abolished. Do you realize that during the Civil War and the Underground Railroad movement that was transporting slaves from the South to the North, it was driven by the passion of Quaker Christians. And two-thirds of the leaders of the abolitionist movement that eradicated slavery and the states were ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that, that resounding voice that helped our nation catch up with our creed in the 60s civil rights movement was from a Baptist minister, Martin Luther King Jr. Had Jesus had never been born, hospitals would not exist. Universities would not exist. The United States of America would not exist. The United States would not have been a superpower to... Intervene and to push back the Nazi government, the Jewish people would have been eradicated. Everybody would have been speaking, the whole world would have, been, would have spoken Germany today and been under Hitler's reign and influence. Art and literature would not exist. Ludwig von Beethoven, Johann Sebastian Bach, Michelangelo, Charles Dickens, all followers of Christ who received their inspiration in Christ. Christians have advocated throughout the centuries for children's rights. From, as I mentioned earlier, Constantine instituting legislation that abolished the abandonment of babies in ancient Rome. And Christians have continued to be the voice that have championed the, 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 un, the unheard voices. The sanctity of life in the temple of the mother's womb. Christianity has done more than any movement throughout history to elevate women's rights. You realize that there is a practice in India, in ancient times and in some scattered parts of rural India today, called the Sute, S-U-T-T-E, the Sute, And this is the practice. If a man dies and they're officiating his funeral, and there he is in his casket, or his body prepared to be burned beside his body is the wife, his living wife, at a stake, and she is burned to death at his burial because she is not fit and worthy to live apart from her husband. Therefore, she is the sute, which is translated the good wife, to, to suggest that a good wife will die with her husband because she's not valuable by herself. But it's Christ who liberated women. Up until the time of Christ, Women were not allowed in ancient Israel in ancient Middle Eastern cultures to go and, and learn alongside men. But you see Jesus and at His feet are women and Mary and Martha and they're gleaning from His words and it was purely scandalous in this particular culture. But we know from our Christian faith the Apostle Paul said in Galatians that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. Suicide. Was, is rampant apart from Christianity. Cannibalism is rampant in communities prior to the influence of Christianity. If you look around the world and you think, what would it be like if Jesus had never been born? As C.S. Lewis put it, it would be a cold winter with no Christmas. It would be a dark place with no light. As my wife put it, it would be a taco with no meats. Last night, my wife and I were having dinner. It was, we were eating at this little outside food trailer place, and it was cold, and it was drizzly, and there was a, a lady that was uh, abused by her boyfriend and dropped off and, and yelled at and said, you'd be better off, the whole world would be better off if you just killed yourself. He gave her a broken bottle, beer bottle. She had it in her pocket with it. She tried to cut her arm. She was covered in blood. She was soaking wet. Her, she was wearing a skirt in the freezing cold, soaking wet. Her hair was soaking wet and she asked us for help and it's the love of Christ within us that compels us to buy food, to buy warm clothes, to ensure that there's shelter, to do our part, to do our best it is the love of Christ that compels us to do this it would be a cold place without the birth of Christ It's been said that the worst fate of Christmas is to commercialize Christmas. Though we need to be careful not to commercialize Christmas, there is a worse thing that we could do than commercializing Christmas, and that's trivializing Christmas. Because when Jesus was born, the world was forever transformed. And He split time in half, B.C. and A.D., on a personal level, Had Jesus never been born, we would not know the love of God. 1 John 4.8. Three words at the end of this verse are a library full of theology and seminary, and this is it. God is love. And when the shepherds were instructed by the angels that the Messiah Christ was born. They ran to the manger and they were taken back by the humility of God. Who could be intimidated by a baby? And they had never imagined in their wildest dreams that the living God, the creator of all things, who was born on this earth to save us from our sins could be so approachable. And so they worshiped. In India, you see the gods they worship, gods with many arms, gods with faces that look like monsters, god little g, gods that they carved out of a tree that can't see, think. These gods look like they belong in a horror story. And nowhere in these people's imagination do they even dare to fathom that such a God could possibly love them, much less could they ever love that God in return. But God was born to show us that He loves us. God is love. As we read in John 3.16, For God so loved you, He so loved me, that He gave His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, so that if we just believe in Him and His work on the cross, we will be saved. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates His love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Paul said, as a result of this, I want to know Him. I want to love Him. I want to experience Him. I want to know this God who left the glory of heaven to endure the agony of the cross for me. I want to know this God who created all things, the author of life, the sustainer of life, who forfeited his life to give me life. I want to know this God, and I want to reflect this God's love back to him in worship and in knowing him in a relationship. Let me just read a bit about the love of God. This is from my book, Hope With Me, and I wrote this section on the love of God, and I put that well-known story about God loves you this much, this much, and this much. And I read it to my wife, who was then my girlfriend, and she just sort of shrugged her shoulders and said, uh, I've kind of heard that before. That doesn't really inspire me. Go pray more and, and dig in to the love of God and see what he gives you. And This is what I wrote. Earth is a mote of dust in our solar system. Our solar system is a speckle of light on the outer rim of the Milky Way galaxy. Our galaxy is a smear dot of light in the observable universe. Our universe is a grain of sand in the greater cosmos. Carl Sagan put it well. The earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. No wonder David marveled. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Why would God stretch the cosmic arena so high above our pale blue dot, our speck in the cosmos? So that we know how inconsequential we are? No. So that we might grasp His love. The universe is an elaborate metaphor, as Scripture says, As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for us. We must therefore attach the same descriptors of the universe to His love for us. Where do we start? God is big. Really, really big. God's love is big. And the more we know God's love, the more we realize there is to know. The more we explore God's love, the more we discover there is to explore. The more we experience God's love, the more we are amazed at how indescribable, inexhaustible, incomprehensible is the love of God. The more we search out the limits of God's love, the more we find there are none. God's love is infinite and expanding faster than the speed of light. Even though our finite minds cannot grasp His infinite love, our hearts can, which is why Paul Pray that you may have the strength to comprehend with all of the saints the length, height, depth, and breadth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This means that we must forget about human reward systems, love that divorces, love that abandons, love that envies, love that holds grudges, love that burns out, or love that fades away. Rather than trying to wrap your finite mind around an infinite God, allow the infinite God to wrap His love around you. God's thoughts of you exceed the grains of sand on all the beaches of the earth. His love for you is greater than the cosmos. Yet even these metaphors are only a starting point, missing the mark as drastically as the size of my childhood bed, trying to compare it to the size of God. For the steadfast love of the Lord is as everlasting to everlasting. Psalm 103. Perhaps the most mind-boggling reality of God's love is that the one through whom all things were made, the one for whom all things have been created, the one who holds all things together, reduced himself from beyond the cosmos to a speck of dust, a mote of dust suspended in a beam of light. The inhabitants of this pale blue dot, did not recognize Him. Instead, they rejected and killed Him. But this is why He came. So that we would know the distance He is willing to travel toward us, the price He is willing to pay for us, the sin He is willing to forgive of us, the goodness and mercy He is willing to extend to us, and the relationship He is longing to have with us. The cosmic arena is... Endless in scope and and expanding faster than the speed of light, so is the love of God. So we can say in utter confidence, none of us have strayed beyond the reach of his love. We've not fallen beyond the depth of his grace. Because his love is intimate, constant, present, radiant, and infinite. And because of this, we not only know the love of God because of Christmas... But because of Christmas, because Jesus was born, we know that our lives have meaning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we are created in the very image of God. Psalm chapter 139, verse 14, David says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And because of this, it's unthinkable that we abandon a baby made in the image of God. It is unthinkable that we don't extend the love of God to one another in tangible ways when the Holy Spirit prompts us to meet needs. And incidentally, as a church family, we're gathering together, we're bringing coats over the next Sundays until December 13th, up until December 13th. Bring coats, bring hats, bring gloves. It's been said if you have two coats in your closet, you have one coat too many. So bring a coat and, and we're just going to share lunch with the homeless folks and we're going to give them coats and gloves. And guys, guess what? This is nothing uh, terribly creative for a church to do because this is what churches do. We share the love of Christ with people because Christ is in our hearts. And so we worship. We were made to worship God. And we believe as followers of Jesus Christ, the Spirit is within us, and now we have the capacity to return God's love, worship Him in return. Because the Spirit is within us, we know that every member is a minister at our church. There are no spectators. There are no people who can just sort of date the church and not commit to it. No, we commit, and we roll up our sleeves. We tap into our spiritual gifts, and we serve. Every member is is, is a minister because the Spirit of Christ is within you. We are designed to worship. We are designed to roll up our sleeves, count the cost, and serve one another for the glory of God. We believe that we are stronger together and so we assemble and our collective lights shine brighter. And we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. Therefore, we should look for opportunities to share with everyone everywhere what Jesus has done in our lives and what Jesus will do in their lives as well. And because of Christmas... Because Jesus was born. We have a mediator between a holy God and a sinful and sinful mankind. And this is the cross of Christ. This is Jesus Christ. He is our mediator. There's a story about a little primitive village that was Weathering a great deal of, of vandalism and theft. And so the chief and the elders gathered together and decided to implement the death penalty. And sure enough, crime rate dropped. And so finally, something very valuable turned up missing. And they said, Chief, what do you want to do? We've, we have found the culprit. And he said, Execution, just like we decided. And they said, well, chief, there's one problem. It's your son. And everybody just knew that the chief was going to back down on capital punishment. As a result of that, he would lose his authority. He would lose his ability to rule and to reign. But if he didn't back down, his son, his only son, would be killed. The chief said, commence with the punishment. So they tied his son up. They executioners were on each side of his son with rods, and the punishment was they were going to beat him to death. And they looked at the chief to make sure that he wanted to do that, that that was his his unequivocal course. And he said, continue the execution. They raised his hands, and he said, stop. And everybody said, okay, he was just going to scare the boy. We knew he was going to back down. But then the chief walks over, and he covers his son's body with his own body, and he says, continue the execution. And they continue beating and they kill the chiefs and the son walks away. This is a picture of God becoming flesh and paying for our sins on the cross. For the wages of sin is death and Jesus paid for our sins so that we could go free. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could go free and become the righteousness of God. What if Jesus had never been born? The United States would not exist. The Constitution would not exist. Slavery would not have been abolished. Children's rights would not exist. Women's Liberation and women's rights would not exist. Hospitals, orphanages across the world, charitable organizations across the world would not have been created. And on a personal level, we would not know the love of God. Our lives would not have meaning. And we would not have a mediator between a holy God and Sinful men. What if Jesus had never been born? We would not know the love of God. We have a beautiful testimony, two beautiful testimonies. We have a a Thursday night group. We call it our young adult group. But since my wife and I go, we sort of change the names to the young at heart group. And we had two beautiful testimonies a couple of Thursday nights ago about the love of God. What would it be like had Jesus never been born? So I want to ask Junior, who gave his testimony, and then Dominique, who as a result gave her testimony around our campfire that night about a testimony of the love of Christ and how it impacted their lives. So Junior, Dominique, come on up. If you guys would give it up for these two, please.
1: Uh so I asked our Thursday night group here a couple weeks ago how do you know if God's real and how do you know if he's there? Well, and for me when my dad passed away many years ago, I found myself sitting in a very dark place with guilt because I had, I had had a major argue with him, argument with him the night that he died. And so I just remember within a couple of days of his death, sitting on an old dirt road, staring down a barrel of a gun, and very close to pulling the trigger. And I just, I felt like I heard this voice saying, call my sister. So I put the gun down. Was still thinking about, oh, I can you know, just pull that trigger. But, so I called my sister. She didn't plead with me. She didn't try to, you know, she just simply said, think of your nieces. I had two nieces at the time that were very young. And, uh, I don't know, it just it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I just, just put the gun down, went back to my where I was living, which was with my aunt and uncle and walked in and handed her the gun and says, when I ask for this back, till then, just put it away. I don't want to see it. And, well, <laughs> that's how I know because God spoke to me. That's how I, I knew he was there with me because I wouldn't be standing here today giving my testimony. And so I just want to say... <sighs> I don't know, suicide really does bother me a lot. It hits me at my core, I think. When I hear people, you know, I hear about somebody I know, like all of a sudden come like, what? It just, I, I can't, I don't know, I just, I can't really comprehend it. Why? It just doesn't make sense. And I just want to say, if you're feeling that, reach out to someone. Because it's not just you that it affects. It affects you your family, your friends, and people that know you. So that's all I got to say.
2: Okay. Hi, my name is Dominique, and I want to say thank you to Junior for his Testimony. So um, a little bit about myself is I grew up 22 years without a religion. So it's just recently that I found God. But the first time that I experienced God and his love was about three years ago. Um, I was in a, like, junior, in a really dark place. Uh, and I was driving around trying to find the highest highway, highest ledge I can find. I found the perfect one. And I got out of my vehicle and I got on top of that ledge. And I looked down at all the cars passing by. And in that moment, I thought it just looked so beautiful seeing all these people going places that I'll never go again. And I was just, uh, I called my family just so I can hear their voice one last time. And as I put the phone down, just hearing their voices, I was just talking to myself. I don't know if I was talking or praying, but I was outward speaking. Please help me. Please tell me what to do. And a voice just spoke to me. It was the most softest voice I've ever heard in my entire life, but it was so thunderous at the same time. And it gave me the most simplest answer there was. It told me, go home. Nothing more, nothing less. I listened to the voice and I went home. And that was the day that God planted his seed within my soul. That was the day that God touched my spirit. And that was the day that I knew that God is alive. God is with us and God is in control. So like Junior said... If you're ever feeling in any way like that, thinking about suicide, please reach out. Reach out to me. Reach out to Junior if he wants you to. Reach out for help reach to God because God is the answer. God will help you. God is love. Thank you.
0: Jr. Dominique, thank you very much. God is love. I love the way Dominique described the voice of God because I've heard the whisper, the thunder as well. God is real and God is with you and God is for you. What a cold world this would be had Jesus never been born. Maybe it's time that you go home. You come home to Christ. Would you stand with me please? There was a minister, and he was given a chapel at a fraternity. True story. And these guys were, you know, reclining on the couch and just kind of laid back. And He asked them a simple question. What is the meaning of your life? And nobody answered. He said, I'm not going to continue. I'm not going to let you off the hook until you answer me. What is the meaning of your life? And one person said, well, I am going to uh, graduate, I'm going to go to law school, and I'm going to be a lawyer, and I'm going to help defend people. And he said, well, that, uh, that's how you're going to provide for your life, but what is the meaning of your life? And somebody else said, well, I'm going to graduate, hope to meet a girl, I'd love to have three or four kids, buy a house, and he said, well, that's with whom you're going to do life, but what is the meaning of your life? What about you? What is the meaning of your life? Have you gotten it confused with what you do to provide in your life or with whom you are spending your life? What is the meaning of your life? We are created to worship God. We are created to reflect His love. This is our our purpose. And if we're not worshiping Jesus Christ in an intimate relationship, it's not that we stop worshiping. It's that we start worshiping the wrong thing. We start worshiping what we do. We start worshiping with whom we're doing it with. We start worshiping the pleasures of the flesh. Our worship trigger never gets our worship switch never gets shut down it just gets misdirected and paul said this god this god who created all things went to the cross for me he showed us what it is to love i mean he he spent his time with the marginals with the castaways uh with 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 the no names with, with the lepers, with the sinners, with the tax collectors, with the prostitutes. He didn't try to rub shoulders and hobnob with the who's who. He was born and raised in Nazareth. He loved what the world considered the least of these. And everybody he encountered was transformed by his healing power. And Paul said, I want to know this Christ who, went, who took his love all the way to the cross and paid for my sins so that I could live. I want to know this God. I want to be in a relationship with this God because the, as the woman at the well discovered Jesus said, where's your husband? And she said, I have none. And he said, that's right. The guy you're living with now is not your husband, and you've been married five times before that. He wasn't slamming her. He was, he was pointing out, your heart is thirsty. And you've been going from man to man, relationship to relationship, trying to find satisfaction, trying to find security, trying to find significance, trying to find worth, trying to find meaning trying to find a new beginning, and your heart is emptier than it's ever been. And Jesus said, I am what your heart has been thirsting for your entire life. And he declared himself to be the living water. He is the living water, A follower of Jesus Christ. Let's drink deep of Christ daily and throughout the day. This is our purpose, to know him passionately and to make him known broadly every opportunity the Holy Spirit gives us. And so in our response time, let's just, let's just come home to Christ, follower of Jesus Christ. Let's certainly not commercialize Christmas, but even more than that, let's not trivialize Christmas. God was born to go to the cross, and let's come home and enter into this relationship with Christ. Let's return to this relationship with Christ. If you would bow your heads with me, I wonder how many of you would say, you know what, I, I could relate with Junior, I can relate with Dominique. I've been I begin feeling like my life just didn't matter all that much. And maybe this world would be better if I were not here. I begin feeling like my life didn't matter all this much, and maybe maybe everybody would be better off. Maybe I would be better off. Maybe the best is behind me. And maybe your heart has just been buying into that lie. I just want you to know that is a lie, and you are valuable. God loves you. God has so much planned for you, and He's telling you what He's told Junior and what He told Dominique. You matter to the people around you. You matter to God. Come home into a relationship with Christ and know that what Satan meant for evil, God will mean for good, and He will translate all of your sorrow into beauty and blessing. If you come home, come home into a relationship with Christ. Let Him quench your heart. Let him give you a new beginning. Let him turn the loss into a blessing. This is his specialty. He turns loss into blessing. So when I response time, I just want to invite you to come forward and, and just tell Jesus, I am home. And thank him for Christmas. Thank him for coming to show us what love is. Thank him for giving you meaning in a relationship with him. Thank Him for being a mediator so we can have eternal life. Thank Him that because Christ lived for us and died for us and rose from the dead for us, thank Him that that we don't fear death. Thank Him for His goodness and glory. Thank Him for His mercy and grace. Thank Him for His friendship. So let's respond. Come down to the altar and make your response to Christ or just lift your hands high and worship with all of your heart.